Well, it's just about 6.30, so uh, I'd like to get started. Father, we just come to you with, as, as your children saying thank you for the love that you show us, the care you show us, the mercy that is always there for us. Father, we thank you for your word that blesses us so richly in this life, that, that tells us about your story, helps us to understand you better and understand where we, where we fit as your children. Father, we ask you to bless us this, this evening as we study from Lamentations 3, and we, we ask your, you to be here in your spirit and dwell with us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The past two weeks, I've been reading the uh, first to you, the entire lamentation. Uh, I want to break it up for this one, uh, not just because it's long, but because this one really is in, in three or four pieces, um, and it's uh, and it's it's more difficult to to look at in one or listen to in one lump without really going through and understanding the pieces that make it up. Uh, first of all, this one, I think definitely is Jeremiah's writing. Uh, it, if you will, we'll look in a little while at, at parallel writings from the book of Jeremiah, and you'll see how close the language is and the, and how close the, uh, uh, the style is that is being used, uh, and that it's a picture, and it's Jeremiah's personal lament, and it covers so much. The picture is that it's drawing is it is the picture of Jeremiah's life and his experiences, the torment that he received, the ridicule that was poured on him by the very people God was in, was had him go to to try to change their. Uh, their ways and their uh, change the the uh, sin that they were committing, and in, and being encouraged those same people that he's that are ridiculed and being encouraged by false prophets, whereas Jeremiah was the prophet that uh, that God sent to them in Jerusalem. I I've often said jokingly, and it's only half joking actually. Uh, but uh, being a prophet of God's is not a good career choice. Not a good career choice at all. Uh, the the retirement benefits stink, uh, and and the working conditions are really lousy. Uh, all joking aside, though, remember a prophet doesn't choose God. God chooses his prophet, and God chose Jeremiah. Uh, the job is thankless because God's not usually sending a good message. God sends a message to his people through, this, through his prophet that they do not want to hear. And he's always competing with false prophets who are telling them exactly what they want to hear. Jeremiah was uh, was Similar to this, um, the people didn't want to hear him. They didn't want to hear what he said because it wasn't what they wanted to have said. 
But as long as God needs, needs the prophet that he has, he'll protect him. And Jeremiah was protected throughout the entire, his entire career as a prophet, well, almost his entire life. Uh, and during the siege at Jerusalem, he was protected by God. During the breaching of the walls and the destruction of the city, he was blessed by God. After Jeremiah, after the, the fall, Jeremiah was released by the Babylonians. He could go with them to Babylon if he wanted, or he could stay here if he wanted. They really were very generous and kind with him. And uh, then he he um, got dragged off to Egypt, um, not at all to his own wishes. But as long as God needed the prophet to be speaking to the people, he seemed to be safe. That is to say, his life was safe. Uh, he, what he went through uh, and the injuries that he had, being a prophet, were maybe not as safe as you'd like. Uh, we find Jeremiah in complaining often to God about the job he has. And so that, I'd like to... Uh, to, to look at a couple of passages of passages in the book of Jeremiah. First of all, we'll go to uh, we'll go to the twentieth chapter of Jeremiah in the seventh, starting in the seventh verse. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the, Lord, of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on this, on every side. Denounce them. Let's denounce them. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my perse persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examines the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you I have committed my cause. Uh, this will mirror a great deal of what we find in the beginning of Lamentations 3 and in the very end of Lamentations 3. I cannot hold it in. Even if I, I say, I don't want to say anything more, I don't want to do this job anymore, but it burns in my bones like fire. I have to say it. Being a prophet of God is not easy. 
Jeremiah would certainly agree with Jesus uh, when we find in both Matthew and and um, and Luke um, in Matthew. I'll read from Matthew twenty three thirty seven. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I long to gather your children together as a hang hen gathers her chicks under her wing, and you were not willing. Jerusalem would have crushed Jeremiah and stoned him if it were not for God's protection. Jeremiah was bitter and angry with the people and the rulers of Jerusalem. This lamentation, unlike the others, uh, the anger is at Jerusalem, and it is looking for vindication from God. However, in spite of this, we also find a call for hope. In the middle of the lamentation, prior to it, a call for penitence. And in the end, the lamentation calls out for God to avenge the wrongs done to him. A little bit of structure, unlike the first two lamentations, and also the fourth, uh, this lamentation is in a triple acrostic style. Now, what that means is that there are sets of three verses each. Each set begins, each verse in each set of three begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's acrostic, but it's triple. A uh, very difficult writing style. And uh, but Jeremiah was a very uh, was a very blessed man and a very intelligent man and very well schooled. So this one, as I, if we look at the structure of Lamentations, we have five songs. The first two have are acrostic, 22 verses, one for each letter. The length of the verse may be longer or shorter in some. The second, the the third one, which is what we're getting, what we're going to look at tonight, is 66 verses, because it's a triple acrostic, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Three verses in each set, 22 verses total. And unlike the others, and, all, and, the, and the ones that follow it, this one is very personal. This one is Jeremiah's lament, definitely. Very personal, rather than a national lament. It is the longest, falls in the middle. I like, this, I like the pattern. 22 for the first, 22 for the second, 66 for the third, 22 for the fourth, 22 for the fifth. Um, though that's verse-wise. And it, it's a very nice pattern. It stands out. And I know that, well, obviously, the person who compiled this had a reason for it. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what that reason is other than the beauty of it. There's a pattern to it that's just just beautiful to me. But the first seven sets of the third lamentation are Jeremiah's personal sufferings as a prophet of God. 
And it ends, it ends though, uh, the last verse of the, la of the seventh set begins with an exclamation of hope, a shout of hope. And then the next six verses after that, six sets of verses, excuse me, uh, offer hope in the grace of God that he will not cast off Israel forever. The next four sets of verses uh, call upon Israel to become penitent and return to God. Finally, the last five sets focus on Jeremiah's fate and the call for God to bring vengeance upon those who rejected him and his message. Now, when God called Jeremiah, he told him that he would put Jer words into Jeremiah's mouth. So if we go to uh, Jeremiah, the first chapter, and we're going to jump a lot in, in the book of Jeremiah because it's... Uh, Again, it's a personal story of uh, Jeremiah's in this lament. If we go to the first chapter of Jeremiah to where God calls him, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Later on in that same verse, God says, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the people of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance to the of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against her, all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness and forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So basically, God is going to pour words into Jeremiah. And we, we found out from the previous reading in the 20th chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah can't, can't help but say it. Say what God tells him. God puts in his mouth. He, he is forced almost to say it. Even if he wanted to be quiet, he couldn't. God also made life difficult for Jeremiah in other ways, not just the prophecies that he had to have, but God also told him not to marry or have children or to be part of normal society, but instead he must isolate himself from the rest of, 
of the Jewish community. If we go to Jeremiah 16, 1 through 9, Then the word of the Lord came to be, You must not marry and have sons or daughters in this place, for this is what the Lord says about the sons and the daughters born in this land, and about the women who are their mothers and the men who are their fathers. They will die of deadly diseases. They will not be mourned or buried, but will be like dung lying on the ground. They will per perish by the sword and famine and their dead bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals. For this is what the Lord says. Do not enter a house where there is a funeral meal. Do not go to mourn or show sympathy because I have withdrawn my blessing, my love and my pity from these, this people. Both high and low will, will die in this land. They will not be buried or mourned nor will they cut themselves or shave their heads for the dead. No one will offer food or comfort to those who mourn the dead. And do not enter a house where there is feasting and sit down and eat and drink. For this is what the Lord Almighty, Almighty the God of Israel, says, Before your eyes and in your days I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness to the voices of the bride and the bridegroom in this place. So God took away from Jeremiah just about everything that uh, everything that was made life worthwhile. Friends, loved ones, family, all of it taken away from him. You have one job, one job only, pronounce my, my doom on the people of this country. The first seven verses of Lamentations 3 reflect this personal pain of being a prophet for God the first 20 verses recounts the suffering uh, under the curse, you might say, of God's calling. However, the last verse of the seventh set of, of verses is a loud proclamation of hope. However, Jeremiah's life is really only a mirror of God's rejection of Israel. So as we read this section, you could almost replace Israel for for the person speaking. Just as he did uh, to Jeremiah, he will do to Judah. And just as Judah treated Jeremiah, God will treat Judah. So let's read the beginning of Lamentation 3. I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness 
like those long dead. He has walled me in, so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He's made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction my wa- and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. We, first of all, this reminds me a great deal of another prophet, you might say, they would call him a prophet, that we have. It's our Lord Jesus. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is pictured in a similar way. Rejected, beaten. And here we find with Jeremiah the same thing. He's seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath, just as he has, so is Israel, so is Jerusalem, seeing the affliction of God's wrath. We don't want to fall under God's wrath. But he has seen it. He's made me walk in darkness, and actually the word, he's driven me away, and that's... uh, Reminiscent in summary to me of the uh, scapegoat on the Day of Atonement being driven out of the camp with all the sins of the community. He's driven me away. Not led me, but driven me. And he made me walk in darkness rather than light. So he's hidden his face from him. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. How, do you, how would you feel? There are two things happening at the same time. Uh, one is God seems to have turned his back on Jeremiah, but at the same time, he's pouring words into his mouth that he has to tell all the people. So there's a bitterness growing. Jeremiah complains about it to God numerous times. I, maybe I'll just quit, but I can't. How would you feel with that? Where, what would you do as a prophet of God? We find that, uh, that there's two tools that 
that seem to be going on at the same time. We have God's servant Nebuchadnezzar, who's his tool to destroy Jerusalem and enact his wrath. And the other tool is Jeremiah trying to turn the people back to God, knowing that they're not going to. He's been walled in. He can't escape. God has barred his way with stones. He can only go in the path that God has chosen for him. He has no choice. And this is the same thing, as I said, is mirror to God's rejection of Israel. What, what's happening in Israel? Well, they are now being driven away, made to walk in darkness rather than light. Uh, his hand has been turned against them. Uh, he, he's made them weary and uh, and old be, before their time. That the the one flesh growing old and my bones broken. Uh, he's they've been besieged and surrounded by him and by his servant Nebuchadnezzar. They've been walled in. They can't escape. They're they're. They have a path that they're following that God is leading, they're driving them on. And they cannot turn one way or the other. Like a bear lying in wait or a lion in hiding coming to maul them. He pierced my heart. And this is very personal with, with Jeremiah. Remember, he's prophesying doom and destruction. And yet, Jeremiah's heart is pierced with the pain of the arrows of God's wrath coming down on his people. He is part of these people. Even though he was unable to turn them, um, he became a laughing stock. They mocked me in song. You'll find that in Jeremiah. Uh, he's filled me with bitter herbs, given me gall to drink. This is not fun, either for him or for Jerusalem that is suffering through it, from it. He's crushed him and under in the dust and deprived him of peace. All the beauty that was there has been taken away. And for Jeremiah, all that he could have been, remember he was the son of a priest, he would have been a priest. He would have married, would have had children. He would have had a home. Life would have been good. But instead, God has chosen him as a prophet. And so his, he's been deprived of this peace and this prosperity. His, all the splendor that he could have hoped for is gone. And then he remembers the affliction and the wandering and the bitterness and the gall. And then in the 21st verse, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Through all this darkness and bitterness, the destruction that he's seen of Jerusalem, the, the, his life that could have been really good, has been redirected by God and he's been ridiculed and gnashed 
knocked down and beaten, thrown in cisterns, covered up, you name it, it's been done to them. Therefore, I have hope. So the next section, the six, six sets of verses, beginning in verse, uh, beginning actually in the sets of verses, beginning in the 22nd, but the 21st verse is the lead-in to it, the segueing uh, into this section on hope. And of course, we all, all are very familiar with it. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly in the salva for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There yet may be hope. Let him offer his cheek for one who would strike him. Let, he, let him be filled with disgrace. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. To crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny people their rights before the Most High, to deprive them justice, would not the Lord see such things? Who can speak? And have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it. Is it not from the mouth of the Lord Most High that both calamities and good come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? The Lord is my portion. That's why I have hope. We've been burdened with the, with the uh, yoke of God or bowed down in the dust. Uh, but no one is cut off from the Lord forever. And finally, Jeremiah reminds us that this punishment is for the sins, our sins against God. And why should the love, living complain when they're punished of their sins? For while they yet live, there is hope. Jeremiah is reminding Jerusalem that they must hope in God and submit to his punishment. Only by submitting and waiting for the punishment to pass can we hope for the future. It's interesting the way, you know, what we find here in this section of this, the one where he, where he calls out that we have hope. You, Jerusalem, you may, you've, you've been, everything's been destroyed. You have been beaten down. You've been stepped on. You've been humiliated. But there's hope. There's hope. 
As long as you're alive, there's hope. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in Him and the one who seeks them. So, so wait quietly for the hope of God to be revealed. When we're having struggles on our own lives, we have the promise of hope that is from God. Just as they have Jerusalem having been beaten down has hope from God that God will rescue them. They don't know when, don't know how, but there is hope. And what is hope? The promises of what? Things we don't see? We may not see it now, but it's promised to us. It's a hope. <coughs> this in turn segues into the next section, which is important for us to, to recognize and to see and to understand. The next section where Jeremiah calls for Israel to look inward to themselves and return to God lifting up not just their hands, but their hearts and hands in prayer. And the prayer is an admission of guilt and a recognition that God has not forgiven them, that he has hidden, that he hid himself from them, that they become the scum of the nations, the scum of the earth, and their enemies have brought ruin and destruction, their enemies have brought ruin and destruction on them. Jeremiah then tells how looking on, on this has brought him to tears and grief, even though they had rejected him, even though they had tormented him and rejected him. The suffering that he sees of his people brings him to tears. So we'll start with this section. We'll start in verse um, verse 40. Let us examine our ways and test them, and let us return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You have slain without pity. You have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can get through. You have made us scum and refuse among the nations. All our enemies have opened their mouths wide against us. We have suffered terror and pitfalls, ruin and destruction. Streams of tears flow from my eyes because my people are destroyed. My tears will flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from heaven and sees what I and sees what I shall bring what I see brings grief to my soul 
because of all the women of my city. The pain that he feels is for his people. God has literally turned his face off. There's no pity. There's no pity. And he looks around and he sees nothing but death and destruction, humiliation. Their enemies have opened their mouths and swallowed them. They've suffered terrors and pitfalls. These are, this is what we need to pray about. So lift up our hearts and our hands. Not just our hands, which would have been a normal position for praying. They lifted their hands to God, but no, not just the hands. The heart has to go with it. And then pray to God. Admit, your, admit that you've sinned and rebelled. Admit that he, we feel that we've not been forgiven. Recognize that you covered yourself with, with anger and pursued us. Recognize that all this was brought on by us. And Jeremiah is there as well, including including himself. We all brought this on. They wouldn't listen to me, but nonetheless, we've brought it on ourselves. And streams of tears are flowing from his eyes because he sees his people destroyed. There's got to be a, a difficult situation for Jeremiah. His whole life, from the time he was probably between 15 and 18 until his death, was one thing and one thing only. Trying to rescue his people from the wrath of God. God speaking through him, telling him this is going to happen. But always leaving a door open, even when when he when he condemned them, always open leaving a door open that yeah this is coming. But if you were to turn to me, I'd relent. Uh, reminds me of Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels and and God coming down to talk to Abraham and well should we tell him what we're going to do? Well yeah I guess so and tells them that we're going Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be destroyed. And then Abraham just, well, how many righteous people there would cause you change? Did God find any righteous people there after uh, Lot and his family removed themselves? And what came on to Sodom and Gomorrah? Total destruction. Well, that's what's happened here. Similar situation. The, the, the messenger of God, the prophet of God, Jeremiah, came down for and reasoned with them and gave them God's prophecies, God's will, spoke his word to them so that 
they would recognize and turn away, but they wouldn't. And so the pain of that has to be weighing on Jeremiah as he writes this. I did what God told me to do. I, I gave his word to the people and they did not turn their hearts and the grief has to be just unbelievable. I failed. Even though God told them, I know what they're going to do. And I know what's being prepared. But the feeling of grief as he sees his people lying on the streets, dead, dying, starving. And he weeps. My eyes flow unceasingly without relief until the Lord looks down from the sky, from heaven and sees. What I see brings grief to my soul because of all the women of my city. That's the, the, the third section. The fourth section of this, this lament turns back again to Jeremiah and what he went through and what he wants from God. These are the very people that Jeremiah is grieving for that were his enemies. And they hunted me. They tried to kill him so that God could no longer speak through him. They rejected not only God's words, but Jeremiah himself because he spoke them. And this last section is Jeremiah's cry for vindication. And he asks God to uphold Jeremiah's cause. He uphold my cause and pursue them and destroy them. So we'll begin now in, in verse 52 through, the, through 66. Those who were my enemies without cause hunted me like a bird. They tried to end my life in a pit. They threw stones at me. The waters closed over my head and I thought I was about to perish. And when they speak of waters, they're talking about not literally water being poured on him and his drowning, but it's, it's just flooding him and, and overcoming him. I called on your name, Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for relief. You came near when I called you, and you said, Do not fear. You, Lord, look up, took up my case. You redeemed my life. Lord, you have seen the wrong done to me. Uphold my cause. You have seen the depth of their vengeance, all their plots against me. Lord, you have heard their insults, all their plots against me. What my enemies uh, whisper and mutter against me all day long, look at them, sitting or standing, they mock me in their songs. Pay back them, pay them back what they deserve, Lord. For what their hands have done, put a veil over their hearts and may your curse be on them. 
Pursue them in anger and destroy them, Lord, from under the heavens. So he ends this lament by asking God once again, take up my cause. I've been harassed, chased, tormented. You name it, it's been done to me. I've been thrown down a cistern, locked in a dungeon. I've been covered over with, with shame and humiliation. They sing songs about me in the streets. Remember my enemies, what they've done, and take up my cause and protect me and save me from them. Give them what they deserve. It's interesting when you look at the, the, his tears just a moment before and now and at the end of this lament, he reminds God that to avenge him. How do you think that should sound? How would you feel if you're Jeremiah and at the end of this poem, you've just been weeping because you saw what God has, has done? The destruction that he's brought. All your his, the people that were your enemies laying in the streets, dying, or in mother's arms, starving to death and dying, children dying, priests being being slaughtered, all the princes of the of the realm slaughtered. How would you feel? Would you be angry? at them even though you see this and you weep over what happened and how does God feel about it remember who's who inspired these words the vengeance of God and he's asking them to to remember it Remember what happened, God. Remember what they did to your messenger. Bring vengeance. Avenge me. All the people, uh, there are almost none left over probably when this was written. Uh, it's hard to say where it was written, whether it was this one may have been written in, in Egypt. Maybe that's where he compiled, or where all these were compiled in, in Egypt. I'm not sure. No one knows. But it sounds like Jeremiah, Jeremiah just saying, Lord, I did what you asked me to. I brought your word to a people who did not want to hear it. I suffered because of it. Let them feel some of this pain that I felt. I think God's I think God is saying, yes, I agree with you. And this is the second time, by the way, that we see vengeance being called. The first one was in the in the first lamentation, where they want vengeance on whom? The first lamentations. Do to us, do to them what you did to us. It's not fair. And them is all their so-called friends around them. 
And this one, though, is, is not Jerusalem calling to avenge them the destruction and to, for God to remember that these friends, so-called friends, were sitting around, but instead it's Jeremiah saying, Lord, remember your prophet. I did what I, I did my job. I'm at the end. I, but those people that caused that brought caused such grief for me, pay them back. Give them what they deserve for what their hands have done. Put a veil over their hearts. May your curse be on them. Pursue them in anger. Destroy them from under the heavens. So that's the third lamentation. The longest of them by verses. Maybe a little longer by number of words because the the way the the poetry reads but nonetheless it's the it's the center the centerpiece of it actually Keith? Listen, well, let me tell you what my theory is about uh, the writers of these you don't know all of them but uh, jeremiah's a compass you've heard of the uh, moral compass that we all have it hasn't been written yet, the story completely. But he's there to, he knows what's going to happen, but he knows the right way. And when we get all the way to the New Testament, and we hear that this section, called the Old Testament, is the schoolmaster, the pedagogos that we learn from. If he wasn't there, we would just say God was mean to people in the old times, but they didn't know where to go. Jeremiah here knew where they should be, what they should do. Mm -hmm. He knew that that was his purpose. He was human. He felt bad for him. He, he couldn't really see why. He couldn't, I don't think he'd see himself as a big plan. But that was so that we would know that God wasn't just a mean guy. They had a compass to follow. And he knew they wouldn't follow it. And so I really see him as a hero. He knew they weren't going to listen. But he was the only thing they had to look to. They wouldn't look back. They were going their own ways. And this is how we learn going our own ways. As I said before, we don't want to fall under the wrath of God. It's not very pretty. And that's why Christ. That's why he died on the cross. And that's the hope. The hope that we have, just wait. Like most prophecies, it has two or more meanings. One immediate, one far in the future. Well, in this particular one, you know, that section of hope is really, we recognize it as a call for Christ, wait for, wait on the Lord. Wait on it. Another thing is, he showed that humans can't do it on their own. Mm -hmm. They cannot follow the law. They, they always wait from God's law because, just like us, 
in our life. I'm sure there were times that we wanted to go our own way. We could care less what we were taught by the Bible. So that's the story all through history. Mm -hmm. Do things your own way and it's not, not going to succeed. So now we can look back on those things. They, have, they didn't have the New Testament, but the story is written now. That's, this is our schoolmaster. And remember that this was the only testament when the church was established and when the kingdom was established. This was, this was the testament. This was God's testimony to us as well. His, and this lamentation, it points to the suffering of a, of a servant of God. Sometimes we'll be suffering because we'll be a, a servant of God's. If we bring Christ's message to the world around us, it's going to be rejected by most, if not all. They may be ridicule thrown upon you. But if we are to be God's people, we have to walk his path, the one that he leads us on. And uh, personally, I would, I would love to be better at what Jeremiah was, which is unceasingly, unashamedly, preaching God's message. And it's not pretty because we know what what uh, God's message in our time is. We have Christ, and if you don't have Christ, you have death. We fall under God's wrath. Any other comments to make, Richard? So I'm reminded of when I was a teenager during a song starting in verse 22, uh, the, step, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Mm -hmm. And I would like to read that, and if you want if you remember it, join with me. But it's to help us remember these words of hope that you talked about. So, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is our faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. Therefore I will hope Thank you. For, that was a good ending for that. Thank you for all your your uh, attentiveness for being here for tonight. Uh, next week we'll start on the on the fourth lamentation. As I say, this one in the middle just is sort of all alone on its one. When you get to the fourth, you get to the other side of the destruction of Jerusalem. When they when a month later they burned it to the ground and they destroyed it completely. And so we'll see. What the uh, we'll look into that one next week. And that one again is an acrostic of 22 verses. Thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. 
Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.